Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I want to welcome any visitors uh, that are here today. Thanks for coming out to worship with us. Thank you, praise team. Um, Bob is on vacation this week, and um, they did a great job. So let's give them a hand. Thank you all so much. What season of life are you in right now? Is anyone starting over? Or maybe you feel like you're starting over. Uh, could be a, a new home. I know for us, that's where we are at. Um, you know, 14 years in one place. And that's a big change to, to move on, to transition to a new place. I know, uh, you know, Roger and Gwen <laughs> doing the same thing. Been in one house forever. I think Roger was born there, maybe. Right. I don't know, but... Maybe school, maybe you're just starting uh, college. Maybe you're older and you're going back to school to get your degree. I know for most of us in the room, you know, our, our kids start school this week and teachers have already been back sort of preparing for, for this week. Maybe it's marriage, you know, maybe you recently got married. Um, you know, that's, that sort of feels like starting over, doesn't it? Starting something, something new. Maybe you're getting married again, right? Starting over. Maybe you uh, have ki have had kids recently, have had a child. Man, that, that's, that is starting from scratch, isn't it? Starting from the beginning. By the time you have four, it's just like, uh, well, whatever. All right. Maybe it's a job, you know. Maybe you started a new career, new career path. I would say just about everybody in here um, has had at least one job. You know, most people can't have a couple of uh, jobs over their lifetime, at least. Or maybe, maybe you are in the season where you've lost a love, loved one, right? And, um, you know, it hurts. You're sad, you're grieving, you sort of feel like life's different. What do I do now type of thing? Starting over. I want to share this statement with you. Whatever season you're in... <clears throat> God has a reason for this season. Okay, I know that's kind of catchy. We say it around Christmas time, and we say Jesus is the reason for the season. But God, whatever season you're in, I want you to say this to yourself. God has a reason for this season that my life is in. You know, God is a God of starting over. God is a God of new beginnings. God is a God of rebuilding from the rubble. Now today we start a new series. I'm, I'm so excited about this, uh, what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah, but we're also going to be looking at Ezra. Okay, Nehemiah gets all the glamour most of the time. People rarely mention Ezra, but to me is just as much, if not more, Important, and we'll show you that over this series, how they work together. But uh, Nehemiah, rise and build. You'll find out why, um, you know, 
that, that title fits this. Just a quick background on this. The, Nehemiah is an Old Testament book found in the Old Testament. Ezra and Nehemiah are right together, side by side. They're originally one book, one book. Um, over the translation process, over the years, uh, to get it into Latin, it was a very, very challenging. And so they decided to separate it and to make two, two books from that. But Ezra and Nehemiah. So the time frame of this, now we went through a series a while back going through Daniel. It's in that time frame. The fall of Jerusalem, the, the fall of, of Israel, right? The destruction of, of the temple and the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar came in and just destroyed everything. And, and they didn't just destroy the city, destroy the temple. They actually took a lot of people captive, took them back to Babylon. That's where we find Daniel. Three different waves of deportations, taking people from Israel to Babylon. Now, what happens after that is Persia conquers Babylon, okay? Persia. And King Cyrus, he was the king at the time, he issued a decree that people of Israel could return and begin to rebuild their temple and their city. Ezra, Nehemiah, both books talk about this, this one thing, rebuilding the city of God, rebuilding the temple of God. And these books are years years apart. Actually, Ezra, Zerubbabel is the first to return, okay? Then Ezra, and then Nehemiah. Long time. What a, what a season that that was for the people of God. What a change. A time to start over. A time to rebuild. You know, in many ways, this is perfect timing for us because I feel like our church is rebuilding. It's strange. I feel like we're, we are starting over, and it's not necessarily by choice, by, by our choice. I feel like this is what God is calling us, and maybe you and me as individuals, but definitely us as a church family collectively together to start over and to look at the foundations, to look at the main things, to refocus our attention upon God. You know, God is a builder. That's what he does. Now, he wants us to join him. We want to join God in what he's doing. And if he's building, we need to be working and building for him. So I thought with this message, and maybe with the next few messages, we'll talk about building, like practically. What does building a home look like? Okay, what does it start with? What does it involve? First of all, very importantly, if you're going to build a home, you've got to have a plan. Plan. Just, you've got to have a plan. A blueprint, a design, something to go by. Every building or every structure needs this. It needs someone behind the design. And I've got to tell you this morning, we read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's in the past, but let me tell you, God has a plan. God just didn't have a plan then. He has a plan now. But let's look at, at Ezra and see how this unfolds. Let's see how God's plan unfolds. Ezra 1.1. 1, 1. 
Notice this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Notice this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So listen, listen. Cyrus, king of Persia, was a pagan king. Not a godly person at all. But here we see who stirred his heart. The Lord did. Does that shock you that the Lord would use somebody like this? He does. Listen, God does that. God is sovereign. God is supreme. And he does what he wants. He uses who he wants to use. As a matter of fact, in Daniel 2, we read that it is him who changes the times and the seasons. It is him who raises up kings and brings them down. Look, we can bash our government all we want, but listen, God is in control. All right? He, nobody is in power today. You don't even hold your position at work unless God says so. God is God. Powerful words, that is. God is God. And listen, God has a plan. Notice the plan that he laid on Cyrus's heart. Verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea, right? That's pretty specific. Cyrus didn't just wake up and said, oh, I had this weird kind of dream. I can't really remember what it was, but these, these were, this is the gist of it. No, I mean, hey, the Lord has laid it on my heart. He has charged me. In other words, he has given me an order to build him a house not just over there by the river, not just in the prettiest place in the world or on the mountainside or in the valley, but a specific place in Jerusalem. And if there's another town called Jerusalem, it's the one in Judea. Or Judah, excuse me. The Lord laid that upon Cyrus's heart to build him a house. The proclamation goes on further, verse 3. It's not just build him a house, but this is the second part of it. Whoever is among you, all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, folks. God has a plan. He has a plan. Now, he wants all of his people to go to Jerusalem he wants all of his people to rebuild the house of the Lord. God is a builder. God has a plan. It's interesting that he wants people involved. I'm sure if he created um, the universe, the mountains, the cosmos, I'm sure he could blink and a temple would be rebuilt the city would be rebuilt yeah god's plan involves people 
It involves his people. It involves you and me. You see, Jesus made this weird kind of statement when he was around and when he was threatened with death. He said, destroy this, this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. You see, the work of you and I, we're not going to go to Jerusalem and build a temple. We work to build the kingdom of Christ. We work for him and his glory, and we build his kingdom. That is where our focus is to be. That's what his plan is for you and me. He wants you to build his kingdom. So practically speaking, to build a house, there needs to be a plan, and God has it. God has it. It's his plan. Second most important thing is the foundation. The foundation. And there's been a lot of stuff in the news about building collapses and stuff like that recently. You know, it goes back to faulty foundations. Foundation is the most important part of any structure. You know, it, every, everything else rests upon that, the foundation, right? Um, I want to talk to you today about the one part of the foundation. I'm going to save two for next week. Okay, this, this is going to be a big one. The first part of the foundation in building a house for the Lord is this, passion. Passion. Passion is simply a strong feeling or emotion. Okay? Passion. You know, we are passionate about so many things, aren't we? Whether it be politics, whether it be the, the, the economy, right? Whether it be school, whether it be regulation or, or finances, whether it be our jobs or whether it be sports. We're passionate people. We are. And so many times, it, look, it's good to have passion, okay, about things. But so many times, those passions, if you trace them back, lead to you. Point right back to you. Now, what I'm talking about, if, if we are going to join the Lord in his plan, and we are going to build his house, build his kingdom, we need to have, you need to have, I need to have a passion for the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. A passion for the Lord. Now, I might turn to a Pentecostal preacher this morning. Okay? Be ready. Passion for the Lord. Ezra was born in Babylon. That's interesting. He's born over there. Didn't know anything about Israel, Jerusalem, other than what he was taught. He worked, as he got older, he worked as a, as a scribe in the per Persian Empire. Right? So if there was an um, Israel club, right? Ezra was the head of it. Right? He, he just kind of led that in Persia. They allowed that. They allowed that. 
But something began to change with Ezra. Notice Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. This is after the uh, order was given, the decree was given to go and rebuild the temple. Ezra was a part of the second wave. Notice this, Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. On the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. This is Ezra. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. All right? Now, if you look at details, I love small details. First day of the first month, first day of the fifth month. How many months is that? Four months. All right? That's how long it took him to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. Imagine that. Right? Man, you've got to have a strong desire for, to go that far, to spend that long going somewhere, right? I will not spend four hours going anywhere. I mean, four months. Four hours would be hard, too. But, right? Four-month journey. And notice it says, the good hand of God was on him. Man, how good would that be to say about your life? The good hand of the Lord is on your life. Why was God's good hand on the life of Ezra? Notice this, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Okay? I want you to notice something here. Notice that phrase, set his heart. What is that? That's passion. That's passion. Where does passion come from? It comes from the heart. It's having a heart to do things for the Lord. Actually, it's more than that. It's having a heart for the Lord. Not just to do things for the Lord. It's having a heart for the Lord and to be involved in what he's doing and with his plan. Look, Ezra was a scribe in Babylon. But notice the last couple of words in verse 10. Where had he, had he set his heart? Where was his heart at? Hey, come on. Where was his heart? Israel. His heart was in Israel. His heart was where the Lord was. His heart was where the Lord wanted him to go. He had a nice job there in Babylon. He had a good career. He was busy doing things. But no, that's not where his heart was. His heart, he had set his heart to do these things for the Lord in Israel. It wasn't just Ezra. It was Nehemiah too. Nehemiah also was in Babylon, also had a good job. He was a cupbearer to the king. I I didn't really know what a cupbearer was. It's more like a butler, butler, like Jeeves, right? Um, somebody like that, butler. Good job, great job. A job of, of, of comfort for him. You know, he was a cupbearer to the king. And so Nehemiah, we find him, he, the, the building process has taken place already, right? It's, it's starting and people are returning and it's, it's beginning and Years later, Nehemiah is in Babylon, and he, he, 
hears about what's going on and he knows about what's going on. And so he tries to keep up with the status. And one day he asks, you know, what's the status of the rebuilding project? And he gets some devastating news. Nehemiah 1.3. They said to me, those who survived the exile, in other words, those who survived being here in Babylon and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, hey, Nehemiah, the the people are in trouble there. The people are in trouble. The the walls are are broken down here and the gates gates are on fire. The gates are burning. How would Nehemiah react to this? Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And how did this affect Nehemiah? He was devastated by the news that was taking place. His heart was broken. And look, just because this guy weeps doesn't mean, right? He's weak, right? Men cry too, don't we? But no, he wept. Another translation says that he mourned. There was an intentional state of grief on his part. He went into this phase where he, it just broke him, and he sat down. He stopped what he was doing. His attention was focused elsewhere. Nehemiah was passionate about God. He was passionate about God. And Nehemiah went to the king, which is a different king at this time. It's Artaxerxes. The cupbearer to the king went to the king and says this in verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Nehemiah, you're my right-hand man. What is it you want? What's on your heart? You, You know you have my blessing." You know I'll give you pretty much anything you ask for. I'll do anything for you. What, what is it that you want? What's down inside of your heart? What is your heart's desire? What are you longing for? Notice what he says. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me, send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Wow. Nehemiah, listen, cupbearer to the king. Comfort. Retirement. Smooth sailing. Had everything going for him in Babylon. His heart was in a different place, and his heart was with a different person. You see. And he... He had a passion for the Lord. I want to share this with you. It's not on the screen. But your passion for God will lead you to your purpose in His plan. Your passion for God will lead you to your purpose in His plan. We can be passionate about a ton of different things. And they might be good things, right? But until you have a passion for the Lord, you will never retrieve your purpose in life. You will never see it. You will never get to it. You will never achieve it until you have a passion 
for the Lord. That's where it starts. And when you have a passion for the Lord, he will begin to unfold his plan and involve you. But notice what Nehemiah did. He said, look, God, I have a passion for you. This breaks my heart. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Send me. I'm going to rebuild it. Let me ask you this. Where's your heart at this morning? Where's your heart? This question here, I ask myself over and over and over again this week. Where's my heart? Where is my heart set? When was the last time that you had a passion for the Lord? I'm not talking about a passion for doing something. I'm talking about a passion for a person, a passion for God, a passion for the Lord. Where your heart is turned towards Him and it's not focused on you and yourself. It is on God. It is on Him. And you see that He is God and He is sovereign and He is in control and He has a plan and you are His child. You are His people. He is your king. And you long to be involved in what he's doing. You long to give your life and submit that to him. When was the last time you had passion for the Lord? I think we've all had that. Maybe maybe you haven't had a passion since the Lord saved you. I know lots of people like that. It's like they just, man, they're on fire and it's burnt out. It happens to a lot of people. I would say it happens to all of us at some point. And the Lord wants to rekindle that flame inside of you, that love for him, that passion for him. Man, if you've lost your passion, thank the good Lord that he is a God of rebuilding. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of second chances. I look at the people that were in Babylon, his people. He's saying, look, it's time. It's time. I want you to rebuild. I want you to be involved. I want you to reignite that passion that you had for me. I got a question for you. Are you ready? Are, are you ready? Today. Today you have the opportunity to leave here changed. Not the same. You have the opportunity to leave here today with a renewed, reignited passion for the Lord. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? Man, maybe you maybe you've been like me and you've you know, you're feeling like, man, God, so much of my life has been about me recently. This season of my life, I've been really focused on me and I've had my focus off of you. Maybe that's you. Are you ready? 
ready to start over, ready to move forward and set your heart on God just like Ezra and Nehemiah did. God, my life is here, but you're there. My heart is with you. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to work. Nehemiah 2.18, I love this. When Nehemiah left and he, he finally got to Jerusalem, he got, got around and told the people that, hey, I'm here to help. I've got the king's blessing. I'm going to help rebuild these walls. And he tells them the plan, and notice what they did. And they said, let us rise and build. Let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. The people said that. The people said that. Nehemiah went and said, I'm here. Hey, I'm going to do this. The people got excited. said, let's get together. Let's rise up. Let's build. Let's, let's work for the Lord. And it says they strengthened their hands. Okay? That doesn't mean they went and did arm curls, right? Or whatever hand exercises you could do to strengthen your hands. I don't know. They got ready. That's what it means. They got ready. Let us rise and build, and they were prepared to go. They started getting ready and notice this, for the good work. Man, God has a plan. God has a good work for you to do. Are you ready? God is ready. God is working. He's not done. He has a good work for you right now in this season of life that you're in. He has a good work right now for Community Heights and our church family in this season that we're in. Are you ready? Are you ready? The rebuilding starts with understanding this, that God has a plan. God has a plan. And it's having a passion for God and to join him in what he's doing. That's where it starts. That's where rebuilding starts, not only for you personally, but for our church. All right. I want to close. God has a passion for you. You know, why do we need to be passionate about the Lord? It's because he has a passion for you. He does. Why did, why did God want to build a temple anyway? Was it so he could be, make a big name for himself? Show off? Right? Is his ego really that big? You know, God does desire worship. Yeah, I mean, he's God, but the main reason for the temple was so the people could come and be with him. Why would God create people anyway? He has a passion for you. The temple was designed so that God could be with his people. And you go back to Jesus. God sent Jesus to be the temple so that all the world could be reunited and joined with God. That's the passion that God has. 
sent Jesus for you, for me, for the entire world, just to be with him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a passion for you. That's a, that, that is, his heart is set upon And look, if you've never felt that, never thought that, hear it today. And may God speak through me in saying this. He loves you. He has a passion for you. He will forgive you. He will save you. He will change you. And he will give you a new life to live for him for all eternity. He will do that. He will do that. God's passion for you is clearly shown through the cross of Christ. And what he went through for 30 plus years and the last seven days of his life proves his passion and his love for you. That was his good work. That was his building. God is doing that throughout this world for everyone. And he says, come, come, join me. Man, if you're like one of them people that just, you know, you've messed up so much and you feel like you can never be forgiven and I felt that way many times. I want you to think today about what God did for you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, not for one sin. Right? Hebrews tells us for all sin. For all time. Do you understand that? It's, it's done. It's sealed. It's a done deal. And his passion for you, he did this while the world was in sin. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might be thinking, Man, I've messed up. Man, I'm in the middle of a mess right now. I just sinned yesterday. I just did this thing that I'm so ashamed of. So what? He's already died. You start over today. Forgiveness is there. You run to the cross and you cling to him. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I love how that word demonstrates is in the present tense and not the past. You know why? Because I sin every day, and so do you. Hey, be one thing. God demonstrated his love. This, 
and we can just, oh, okay. But God demonstrates. So look, today, right now, think to the cross. Jesus died for you. The grace that was available then is available today. It's present tense. You embrace it. Don't let the enemy sidetrack you. The enemy does not want you to rebuild. The enemy does not want you to go forward. The enemy wants you to stay away from God, and God wants you to come to him. Man, are you ready? Will you believe with me that God is doing something great? That God is doing something big? That God is doing something good? I want to be a part of that. Do you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message, Father. God, no matter what season of life that we are in, Father, may you reignite that passion in our hearts to put you on your throne, to see you high and lifted up, to, get, to give our hearts and our lives to you, to take the attention off of us and the desires of this world and the passions that it brings. Take the attention off of ourselves and focus on you, to set our hearts to you, Father. May we submit to you, just like Ezra and Nehemiah did, say, here we are, we're ready. We're ready, God. Use us. I pray for the person today, Father, that is wondering if they even have a relationship with you, wondering where they'll go if they die today. I pray that they would realize today through your Spirit speaking to them that beyond a shadow of a doubt, they could be yours today. By believing in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for the sins of the world. That they would give their life to Jesus and live for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.